In 2007, the UN reported that, for the first time, the majority of people across the globe lived in urban environments. By 2050, this number is projected to rise to two-thirds of the world's population. So, a vast majority of children today are growing up in a world where the urban is the norm and rural is the exception. Yet, in reading children's books, you would not get this impression. I know, looking back at many of the books I loved as a kid, the urban environment was portrayed as this dirty, unimaginative, dead place, and no place for children to be. The real adventure was to be found in the rural, untouched landscape. That's where kids could be kids. But is that image really suitable for children growing up today in an ever-growing urban world? At what point do they stop being able to relate to this portrayal of the world around them? Can the urban environment actually be a positive place for children? Well, that's the topic of this podcast today, and where better to examine this trend than in the children's literature of the Low Countries, some of the most urbanised areas on Earth. In particular, we'll be looking at a book called Rosie and Musa by Michael de Kock, which offers, in some respects, an alternative to these traditional books. In the book Rosie and Musa, Rosie has to move across to the other side of her city into her new home, an imposing tower block. There, she meets Musa, and together they embark on several adventures within the bounds of their urban landscape. This culminates in them being locked on the roof of their building by the antagonist of the book, Menir Tak, who tries to stifle all of their childhood adventures before they even begin. But whilst trapped on the roof, we get a discussion and interaction between Rosie and Musa, which reveals much about how they view their urban environment, and we get a very different representation of this environment than in many other comparable children's books. Joining me to discuss this topic are Liam Stoddard and Catherine Newell. So, Catherine and Liam, what makes the story of Rosie and Musa stand out amongst all these other children's books? Well, many famous children's books are set in nature. Just think of childhood classics like Swallows and Amazons or The Secret Garden, where nature is portrayed as the best place to play or even as having healing properties. It almost gives the impression that a happy childhood without nature is not possible. A lot of this comes from the romantic idea of children being innocent and belonging in nature, and the urban as being far from nature, or even corrupted. Cities traditionally haven't been seen as good places for children, but in our increasingly urbanised society, we need to look at whether these books are still relevant for today's children. I think the main thing that separates this book from other children's books is the focus uh, of Rosa Musa is very urban-centred. We never really get a concrete representation of nature within the book. The story is set in a high-rise block of flats in the middle of a large city, which is so big that moving from one side of, to the other, uh, that Rosie feels the the other kind from the start lake to the other kind from the world, which just means that she feels like moving from one side of the city feels like moving to the other side of the world. So this in itself is quite a departure from previous children's stories. It is not a flight from the city, but a movement within the city. And the urban environment isn't just a grey, uniform mass, but actually it varies and has its own character. But some of the same themes do appear as in previous children's writing. Fundamentally, the repression of childhood and childish nature and curiosity is central to this book. We are introduced early on to a character, Menir Tak, who serves as the antagonist for Rosie and Musa, and that he doesn't want them to speak too loudly, he doesn't want animals around them, and he doesn't want them exploring the building. 
So I think there are several different themes that make this book stand out from the rest of childhood literature. So we've spoken about children being seen as innocent and of them being at odds with this corrupted city environment. I know Owen Jones talks about there being disjunctures between notions of childhood and notions of the urban. So how do the children in this story cope with living in this supposedly fundamentally hostile environment where their childhood is repressed, for instance, by Miniotaki? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. I think a key point is that whilst it may be common to see rural areas as preferable to urban ones because of a disconnect between the urban and childhood, Rosie and Musa both find beauty in the urban and even in their own tower block. Looking out from the roof and seeing office blocks and cranes, Rosie says, Hetis er noch viel more than Musa hat, which means it is even more beautiful than Musa had said. This fits the idea of the flaneur developed in the 19th century by French poet and essayist Baudelaire as well. A flaneur is someone who is gifted with the capacity of seeing and finds eternal beauty where they are, which definitely describes both Rosie and Musa. Yeah, and of course, there's also the factor that children are just great at finding ways to play whatever environment they're in. As the writer Peter Ackroyd explained in his biography of London, the texture of the city itself can create opportunities for play. This is something which Owen Jones explores in his paper Naturally Not as well, where he argues that we need to move on from this idea that urban areas are an inferior place to grow up. I think that the book of Rosie and Musa illustrates this idea really well. The tower block is providing a place for children to meet each other and play and explore, and Rosie and Musa have really grasped that opportunity with both hands. The children are also amazingly imaginative, even pretending that Musa's cat is a dog because dogs abandon their building. In another example, when they're stuck on the roof, they start playing a reverse game, telling each other, Sneakate is it here, and Ich bin helemal neat bang. It's boiling hot and I'm not scared, while the illustration shows them sitting curled up in their coats. On the next page, the illustration does reflect their reverse world. The tower block has become a tree, with their neighbours looking out of hollows in the trunk, a cat and a mouse playing amicably, and fish sitting on the branch reading. The urban environment clearly hasn't held back Rosie or Musa's imagination. That point that you made about the game of reverse that Rosie and Musa play is really interesting because it seems that the premise of the book in many ways is a reversal. And one minor thing that stood out to me in this regard was what Musa says about the train in the book because he sees this as a symbol of freedom where he can escape to the coast, whereas often trains have been used as a symbol of the urban encroaching and invading on the rural. This book is definitely a reversal of most childhood literary norms. You're right about the train usually representing a disturbance of nature, and it is a symbol of the Industrial Revolution and the ever-encroaching urbanization. I think a great example of this comes from the writing of Nathaniel Hawthorne in 1844, who is startled back to reality by the shrieking of a train through nature as he sits and writes in the Massachusetts countryside. This idea of machines representing dirty, hot and lifeless nature of cities is found in many other places as well. That's why the image on page 28 of Musa as a train conductor is even more powerful as it contradicts this norm. What do you think about that, Catherine? Yeah, I agree, Liam. While for people in the countryside, the train may be an interruption to that serenity, for people who live in urban areas like Rosie and Musa do, it can instead be a way to get into the countryside and to reconnect with nature, or even connect with nature for the first time in Musa's case. 
And of course, trains were generally much better for the environment than other means of transport, like cars, so it could even be seen as a way to spend time in nature without damaging it. Yeah, this thing about Musa seeing the train as a way to escape from the city is really reminiscent of the trope of a return to nature which is featured heavily in pastoral children's writings, such as in The Secret Garden, which I think Catherine mentioned earlier. And this trope, a lot of the time, takes the form of children, or adults for that matter, finding solace in returning and escaping to a natural, quote-unquote, state. And maybe this is stretching this connection a bit too far, but it seems like the central plot point of this story um, of Rosie and Musa getting trapped on the roof could be a sort of metaphor for them being trapped in this urban environment. But as you've said, that doesn't stop them coming up with ways to play, like with that game of reversal. Yeah, so given this concept of escape, do you feel that, uh, that Musa wanting to escape from the city to the sea actually shows that children can't truly be at home in an urban environment? I think, fundamentally, the book is quite nuanced in that it doesn't present any environment, urban or rural, as absolutely idyllic and friendly to children. Because the rural that many children's books admire is this idealised wilderness Arcadia where everything is perfectly in balance and it forgets the bad things and suffering that actually exist within nature. So... As an alternative to this image, it would have been very easy for uh, Michael de Kock to present the urban landscape in Rosie and Musa as the antithesis to this, where everything is easy there instead. But actually, it's a very nuanced portrayal where Rosie and Musa find themselves in this urban environment, but that doesn't prevent them playing. But at the same time, they do have these same childhood dreams, such as Musa wanting to be a train driver because he longs to visit the sea. But the fact that there are problems in their urban environment is in many ways why the children have to use their imagination and problem-solving skills, and why they have to employ the help of others to make themselves at home and fit into their urban environment. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Dan as well. I think for me, this longing to visit the sea is just another great example of the childhood flaneur, who is just someone who wishes to explore and go where they have never gone before. It doesn't matter if it is urban or rural. Moose's dream is mostly to travel and conduct a train. The sea is just one of the places that, I, that he wants to go. Moose's desire to travel and be at the head of a train is just most likely linked to his desire to be in complete control and freedom. Maybe the freedom that the urban environment is denying him at that moment, trapped on the roof. Yeah, definitely. This could be seen as an escape from the urban environment. In the reverse game, he mentions that he wishes people wouldn't stare at him behind his back for being black. I think this is one of the reasons he does wish to leave to a different place. So, as we've already mentioned, this topic of escape or fleeing from the urban environment is very common in romantic children's literature. Another contemporary children's book is Minir Teicher, Mr. Tiger, where, in the start of the book, the main character finds himself in a completely colourless and emotionless city and everyone's wearing this restrictive clothing and they walk upright on two legs despite being animals. But Menir Teicher, Mr. Tiger, doesn't feel at home and in many ways feels unwanted in this environment and so has to escape to the wilderness where he finds his true home. So is Musa wanting to escape the city for the same reason as Menir Teicher in order to escape a place he feels he doesn't fit in where people are constantly judging him? Yeah, I think it's a great comparison and there definitely are similarities between the two. But I think Menir Tiger 
has less to do with race and more with the cathartic powers of nature and nature's healing and restorative powers that ultimately lead to Minear Tiger's happiness. I think Musa, on the other hand, has a desire to leave and experience something else, but I don't think it's for the same thinking that the natural world will heal or fix this issue. In Minear Tiger, the city becomes livable and changes due to nature taking back its rightful place. In Musa's dream, he doesn't return to the city, he just continues to travel to the sea every day. We've spoken about Rosie and Musa having to use their imagination. Uh, Catherine, are there any limits to the power of this imagination as at all? Yeah, like you said, we spoke earlier about this reverse world that Rosie and Musa created. Musa suggests that in this world, he would be white and Rosie would be black. But Rosie counters that in a reverse world, Macht it nicht out of your wit, of svart, of brown, of grün bent. It doesn't matter if you're white or black or brown or green. This is much harder for Musa to imagine, showing that, like Liam said, he's already very aware of racism. And while we often think of racism as a fairly mature topic, this isn't the only place in the book where the children challenge age norms. When Rosie and her mum moved to the tower block, her dad didn't come with them. Rosie's mum is clearly struggling with this, as she has to bite her tranen weg, or bite her tears away, while looking at a photo book that includes Rosie's dad. In response, Rosie shucks oysters and serves them to her with lemonade, precis so ultimate papa, exactly like with daddy. This kind of emotional maturity is beyond what we might expect from children. Yeah, I think to add on to what Catherine says, Rosie and Musa are also extremely clever and overcome several issues just by using the power of their imagination. They manage to escape the roof and Manair attack several times throughout the book. The more impressive feat, however, is their ability to find this great sense of adventure and friendship in such a simple setting. Rosie thought she would not be able to find any friends in her new home across the city. However, new kense ook mevrouw Hemelreich en ze heeft een fantastische vriend gevonden. Hij heet Musa, which just means that she found several friends already within the space of one day. As Catherine already mentioned, the only limit to their imagination that the book shows is the issue of racism, which I think just shows the gravity that de Koch and Van Estel want to place on this issue and that even children feel the weight of it. It is quite an unusual topic to see in children's literature, but especially given the recent climate, it is all the more relevant and necessary to address even in children's literature. Totally. And this book was published in 2013, which was the same year that the major Dutch broadcaster NPO published an article called Institutionaire Racisme in Nederland is in Fate. Institutional racism in the Netherlands is a fact. But before the Black Lives Matter movement had reached Europe. Despite the increasing media attention in the last few years, racism still seems to be somewhat of a taboo topic for children's literature, making Rosie and Musa really stand out. So clearly Rosie and Musa is uh, approaching the topic of racism, which, as you just said, isn't very common in children's literature. But also in the book it's stated that Musa can't imagine a world without racism. So does this book offer sort of a cynical take on the power of children within the urban environment? I don't think it's necessarily cynical. I think it's just more of a realistic story than what we are perhaps used to with children's literature. And I think it's just that the fact that, I think it is also due to the fact that Rosie and Musa still need the help of adults in this book, which is not usually the case in other children's literature. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's interesting to note that the adult who helps them is called Mufrau Hemelreich, Mrs. Heaven, a clear example of nominative determinism, which is a tool found in many children's books. 
A slightly more subtle example would be the character Liam in The Curious Garden. This boy, whose name means protector, was the one to protect and nurture the nature in his city. So we've focused a lot so far on the representation of the urban in this book, and I suppose that's because the rural in this book actually plays quite a small role compared to many other children's books. In fact, most of the exploration of the rural in this book comes through the illustrations by Judith von Istendal. For instance, there's the image of the tower block as a tree. So isn't this just the same old trope of the city only being livable when it's imitating the natural in some way? Uh, That's a very interesting question. In some ways it does reflect the romantic ideas around children belonging in nature rather than in cities, which are described in works like Emile or On Education by Jean-Jacques Rousseau. In the opening sentence of this book, Rousseau asserts that everything degenerates in the hands of man, meaning that innocent children belong in nature rather than in cities. You could argue that the children pretending they're in a tree shows they do belong in nature, but I'd say that Rosie and Moose's ability to imagine these different scenarios, even when they're sitting on the roof of a tower block, shows the opposite. It shows that children are perfectly able to find opportunities for play, no matter how far from nature they may be. That's really interesting, and I suppose this links back to the idea of uh, urbanature, which is the idea that urban life and the natural life are not actually as distinct as we usually might suppose. Ashton Nichols describes it as the idea that we are never out of nature. We are as much a part of nature standing in the streets of Beijing as we are in the Himalayas, as he puts it. So Rosie and Musa aren't outside of nature just because they're in the city. The city is part of nature in and of itself. But are there any other images or illustrations in the book that stand out to you? I mean, this book is full of beautiful illustrations, all drawn in black and white by Belgian cartoonist Judith van Istendal. While all of the images are wonderful, one which particularly stands out to me is the double-page spread on pages 26 and 27. Rosie and Moose are standing on the edge of a roof, like Koningskindre, or royal children, looking out across the city. Behind their silhouettes, we see the city, Moose's train, of course, as well as a mishmash of densely packed buildings, including towers and chimneys with smoke billowing from them. The horizon fades into grey watercolour shapes, perhaps cranes or chimneys, showing just how urban Rosie and Moose's home really is. And I think just to add on to this, the illustrations do play a, a huge part in this book. I think that although the depictions are all black and white and even somewhat simplistic, for me the facial expressions add a tremendous value to this storytelling. I think especially the illustrations of the characters are super important in the story as often the background is left out. Most depictions don't include much detail, except for the characters who are currently in action or part of that scene. A great example of this is on page 17 when Manetak is introduced to the story and he has a scowling look as he tells Rosie off for being too loud in the hallway and Rosie just cowers in fear behind her scarf. I think the emphasis on these illustrations of characters helps the reader relate to the emotions and the situations that each character finds themselves in at the time. So just to round up, looking back, many of the books I read as a child were essentially fables with a lesson that the author wanted to give to the next generation reading the book. And with books like The Curious Garden by Peter Brown, it's shown that one child has the power to transform an entire city to a green space, which is of course very relevant for our time, where children growing up today will face the climate crisis. So even if the negative representation of the urban environment in that book by Peter Brown is unhealthy, 
at least it offers a really powerful image for children that they can change the world around them in many respects. But what moral do you think uh, Rosie and Musa offers? There's certainly more than one moral to be found in Rosie and Musa. It's the kind of book you can read 10 times and understand 10 different ways. This book is aimed at children, of course, and for them the main moral is probably something that we've already discussed today. You can find fun and friendship no matter where you are or what difficulties you may face. But then, of course, parents often read books with their children, and I think that adults can learn something from this book too. The characters of Rosie and Musa show great initiative in getting themselves rescued, as well as being mature enough to handle topics like racism. So perhaps this book is also a lesson to adults on not underestimating children. Yeah, I definitely agree with Catherine here. The main takeaway for me is the inventive and imaginative nature of children, regardless of the setting. There are so many interesting themes to look at and topics to discuss that this children's novel extends to just to more age groups than just kids. I think it is great to see authors like Michael de Koch challenge traditional childhood literary norms and create a story in which children play an adventure in the city. Yeah, I definitely agree. And those are all really good points. And I suppose another moral or potential moral of the story is that in this time in history where the urban environments in the world are the largest and the most expansive they've ever been and they're not going to stop growing, it's probably actually healthier and more productive to teach kids that they don't have to escape to the countryside to appreciate nature. Actually, they can do things within the bounds of their towns and cities to help nature along. And linking back to the idea of urbanature, which we discussed, that idea also says that human and non-human lives are linked in complex ways. And this is definitely the case with Rosie and Musa. They need the help of the cat in the story in order to get out of trouble that their childish curiosity gets them in. And also they need the help of adults such as Mevrau Himmelreich. But equally, they aren't totally helpless in the urban environment. And that seems like a really great uh, takeaway and moral for children from this book. Well, thank you for listening to our podcast today. And thank you to my guests, Catherine Newell and Liam Studdard, as we explored the story of Rosie and Musa and linked it to some wider themes within pastoral children's writing.